is not fulfilled. In the book of Romans, Paul tries to tell, no, 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 that's not the road that you should be traveling. See, you should be traveling this road that leads to God. You should be traveling a road that leads to God. And and when you get to certain markers on that road, and when we get to the end of that road, that's not a road that leads in disappointment. That's not a road that, that, that leaves with us questioning a lot of things. That's a road that leads to fulfillment. In the two short verses that we're focusing on today from Romans 12, Paul says a lot about God and a lot about the fulfillment that God authors. He said this in Romans 12, Verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And in there, in that fulfillment that we find in God and in God's presence, Paul first talks about this God who is merciful. And it's a transaction that's very much unlike most of the ways in which we do transactions. Because Paul comes to the people at Rome and he says, I'm going to appeal to you by this. I'm going to appeal to you by this, by simply by the mercies of God. You think about the ways in which we negotiate with people. That's typically not our tactic to base our negotiation for people to follow us based on something that's already happened. Sometimes we offer people something immediately that they will find of value. For instance, I'll give you a dollar if you'll be my best friend. You have something that someone else probably needs, or at the very least they want. We know that we like money, and so you say, look, I will give this to you if you give me what? Friendship, companionship. Sometimes we have to compel people based on some kind of future promise. You're down at C-Mart with, with, with your buddies, and, and you've spent all of your money on, on, on gas. And you get inside C-Mart, and, and your friends are getting stuff, and you're like, man, that pizza smells really, really good. Hunt Brothers Pizza. And so you turn to, to your buddies, and you know that your buddy is, is Daddy Fat Stacks, and you say, look, man. I don't have any money. If you buy me pizza, I will sand down your bunions when we get back to the dorm. Because your roommate's not super flexible. They can't reach their, their, their own bunions. It creates this really awkward situation that distracts you from the things that you need to do. And so you try to compel them based on the leverage of a future promise. For some of you, you may have have family members like this or friends who are like this, where we try to compel somebody, where we try to compel somebody based on, on making them feel real bad, right? Making them feel real guilty. Oh, if you don't do this for me, I just don't know whatever I would do. It would be a real horrible person to look upon my state of being and not have compassion and mercy on me. And it becomes this really long guilt trip. I'm so good at that one. That's my number one way to go with people. Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't do that. He says, look, follow me and let's bank it on something that's already happened. And the thing that's already happened is the mercies of God. 
The mercies of God are something that have already occurred, especially at this point in Scripture, right? The grace and and the mercies of God have already been poured out to people from generation upon generation upon generation. And that story, that story of God's mercy, it it is climax. It has reached its apex with the death and with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the new day. That is the new start. That is the new beginning. That is light. That is refreshment. That is goodness. That is life. And so Paul says, I've been laying out some arguments for you. I'm going to continue to lay out some arguments for you. I want to compel you by this thing that has already been done. And it hasn't just been done by someone who's wishy-washy. It's been done by God, and God has showed you his mercy. And so that thing that we are journeying down the road toward, that thing that we're pursuing, it's a merciful God. It's also a God who is a standard. Paul talks about that as we are to live our bodies as a sacrifice, that we're supposed to do so in a way that is holy and acceptable to God in a way that that God would approve of, in a way that that God wants us to be. You see, God has designs and intentions for our lives. God has designs and, and intentions for our community. God has designs and intentions for this world that are reliant on people being mobilized and rising up and spreading the light and the glory of God, of showing the people around them what it looks like to live a life that is holy. That doesn't mean a life that is perfect. It means a life that is set apart for a specific purpose that brings glory to the name of God. And so when we consider this road that we're on, what we're pursuing, we're pursuing a merciful God. We're pursuing a God who is the standard and who has set the standard. And we are pursuing a God of wisdom and of perfection. Because Paul there, at the end of verse 2, says says that we'll be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And think about that that offer for a second. To be able to discern, to be able to, to figure out, to be able to work through what God wants for us knowing, not specifically in every detail what that thing is, but knowing generally that it's good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty awesome. There can be a grand adventure in stepping into the unknown, but there can also be a lot of comfort if we understand the nature of this God that we journey down the road of life toward. And so that first question, where does the road lead, is one that Paul asks us to wrestle with. And there might be some of us in here today who are thinking, you know what, that, that, that road toward that God, that's not the road that I'm on. There might be times throughout this semester where we start talking about some of the characters, some of the attributes, some of the works of God. And you might think, man, you know what, midstream, I need to change my focus as I'm going along this road. That happens in life from time to time. I was reading a summary of a, of a bike race that happened in Kansas, the 10th annual riding of the Dirty Kansas. If you're going to pick a bike race to go to, the Dirty Kansas sounds like one that would at the very least be interesting. It's not quite as salacious as it sounds. This year, though, I will say it was extra dirty. 
I heard a story from my father-in-law. He lives in Cottonwood Falls, Kansas, and, and um, he was talking about how when they came through their county, it got real crazy because we had such a wet spring that, that the whole entire route for a period of time, it was just mud. It was just mud. And so there were these people, and and they had their bikes, and their bikes were getting stuck. And they were working to pull their bikes out of this mud and out of this clay. And there were some people who even left their bikes just where they were. They felt like they they were unreclaimable. They couldn't even, like, get them back into working order, which is crazy because these are serious bike riders who go all over the country to ride in, in races like this. I was reading a summary from a guy, and when he set out on training, he thought the road that he was going down was a road to victory. He talked about the training that he was doing, other bike races that he had done, the ways in which he had modified his lifestyle to pursue victory in the dirty Kansas. And then he talked about things that started happening in his life. Someone very close to him came down with cancer, and it kind of recalibrated how he viewed the world and some of his priorities. And then he got to the race, and, and, and it was so wet. And, and he got to the race, and, and he borrowed some things from people, and he got in relationships with people who could help him fix their bike. And he had some areas of expertise where he could help with, with their predicaments and, and the problems that they were facing along the race. And he got to the end of the race, and he was like, you know what? This race, honestly, is, is one of the results I'm most proudest in, not because I won, but because I, I didn't win. And this is a guy who was used to winning. He said, he said you know what? I'm so proud of this because I finished. He thought he was going down a road to victory, but it became very clear in his life and in the race that what he was going down was a road toward perseverance and a road toward character change and a road toward personal development, which is really kind of the essence of the second question that Paul asks us in the book of Romans. How does our time on the road change us? How does our time on the road change us? If you've ever done a road trip with any certain number amount of people, usually like three or four or five, you know that road trips lay your character and your practices bare. You don't have to get down the road of very long ways where you realize that sometimes there's one person in a car that just does not respect the laws of the land either in how fast they drive or what they throw out the windows or whether or not they use their blinkers, they are not a respecter of the law. You find that typically in a car of four or more people on a road trip, there's at least one person whose personal hygiene, character, and habits are not sufficient for a situation that relies on recirculated and limited quantities of air. (laughs) Becomes evident real quick, real, real quick. You start to find the person who doesn't have good cleanliness habits because they always leave the bag of hot Cheetos on, on, on the floor of the car and the hot Cheetos get smashed into the carpet. You start to find the people who don't have patience because they're always saying things unbecoming of a person of class and character to the other drivers on the road. You start to find out that person who has an, an inability to sleep with their mouth closed. That's me. It's not my fault. It's because when I was in eighth grade, I had headgear and it just changed the way my jaw works. So I just can't do it anymore. It creates puddles when I sleep, but it just, sometimes you just have to know, you just have to know that life circumstances will lay your life and your character traits and your habits bare. That happens on the road. What Paul tells us over and over again, however, is that this journey down the road is a journey of change. 
In fact, he tells us in this idea of, of questioning what our spiritual act of worship is to God, that we should not be conformed in this world, but be transformed by the renewals of our mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And in that word conformity that Paul used, it's an idea of, of assimilation. It's an idea of becoming like something around us. And sometimes Paul uses that in a positive sense to talk about us assimilating to the character and the work of Christ. In this sense, he calls it, calls it out in a negative sense. As in, you can be conformed, you can assimilate into what is going on in the world around you, or, or you can be transformed. You can be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And specifically, you can undergo a metamorphosis, is the Greek word that's used there. You can experience renewal. You can experience refreshment. And how do we do that? It's not an easy process. It's done by testing. It's done by discernment. It's done by this, this kind of faith thing that we do of first saying, yes, God, I will follow you. Yes, God, I will pursue you. Thankful that you have so graciously pursued me. And even though I don't know what it's looked like, I will continue to allow you and to allow, allow my life to test me and to change me. So that what? So that every single day, so that every single step along the way, I'm getting closer to life. I'm getting closer to fulfillment. If I could take a couple of verses in the Bible and, and overlay them into, and, and compare them to what the mission and vision and values of this institution are, I think there are very few sections of Scripture that would do a better job of reflecting those than these two verses. Isn't this what we as an institution should be about? Shouldn't we be about, as a Christ-centered institution, being about the people of God who do pursue Christ-likeness? Shouldn't we, we be about testing of each other? Shouldn't we be about discernment? Figuring out how when we leave this place, when we leave this room, when we leave these classrooms and these dorms and these people that we grow and come to love, how God will have us engage the world for his glory? Shouldn't we be about people who along our time here can look back and say, you know what? I have changed. God has changed me for the better. And there are some tangible things that I have that can speak to that, such as diplomas or awards or trophies. But at the same time, I think there are also greater assurances of being comfortable in our own skin, of being comfortable with our pasts and knowing that God has the power to redeem all things. Our pain and our sin and our brokenness, God has the power to do that. And he's already started because he is a God who is gracious and merciful in the standard and perfection. As we leave this place this morning, um, we're going to do so not with my words. We're going to do so with, with our words. And I'll pray. And then we're going to sing some things together. And as we sing those things together, I just want you to create some, some space. And I want you to create space to, to, number one, just ask yourself those two questions, to take a quick inventory. Number one, where does the road that I'm on right now lead to? Where's that leading to? And number two, how will my time on the road in this place, how will God use that time to change me? God, we are so thankful that you are a God who is 
gracious and merciful, that you are a God who is approachable, that you are a God is, who is so many amazing things that we'll talk about this semester, and that you are a God who has a design on our lives, that this life, this world, isn't a bunch of random events strung together, God, but we are on a road and we are on a journey. Help that journey, God, to be one toward fulfillment, toward wholeness and completeness, as it's talked about in the Hebrew scripture, to be a journey that brings us to this place of shalom. And along the way, along the markers of this road and of this life, help us to take time out to pause, to worship you, and to listen to you, to hear from our creator. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.